Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good to see everybody this morning. To get us started, I have a question for us. Uh, Have you ever tried to undo something that you messed up? Raise your hand, because we've all tried to do that. We've, We've made a mistake, we've messed something up, and we've tried our best to undo that mistake. Uh, growing, growing up, I loved to play with fire. Middle school Trey loved fire. If I'm honest, adult Trey loves fire. And uh, there was a moment in middle school where I set my yard on fire. Here's how the, the, the story goes. I wanted to experiment with gasoline and fire. Um, in case you didn't know, it's pretty explosive. Um, And so one day, I filled up a little plastic beach pail with gasoline, and I took it outside at my house. We lived in South Georgia at the time, and I put it down in a yard, again, a plastic bucket filled with gasoline, and I'm, I'm assuming I was home by myself. All the details aren't totally clear, so middle schoolers, listen to me. This is not okay. All right. Now that we got that clarified, I I took some matches over to the bucket of gasoline. I strike the match, and I drop the the match into the bucket. And guess what happens when you do that? It explodes, and and it burns. For the first 10 seconds, I step back, and I'm like, this is cool. This is doing what I wanted to do. But fire burning in a plastic bucket, eventually the bucket begins to to melt, and then the gasoline spills all over my yard. At that moment, you shift from like, this is cool, to I'm going to get in trouble. You know that shift, right? This is okay. Now it's not okay. And I shift into that mode, and there's gasoline spilled out all over the yard, and I think, how am I going to put that out? So I scramble around in the backyard, and I find the perfect thing. The garden hose, right? That's exactly what you need to put out gasoline that's burning in your yard. So I go and I I grab the garden hose. I pull it out. It's got the, the sprayer on the end of it just to make sure that it really gets put out. And I go to spray the burning gasoline. And what happens? You shouldn't spray burning gasoline, guys, if you didn't know this. Hopefully this is educational for everybody. So I spray it, and all it does is spread the gas everywhere. Not only does it spread it out and it makes the fire start burning larger, eventually the fire spreads up a tree. And so I'm 12-year-old Trey running around going, I was told water put out fire, and this isn't working. So I start to freak out. And and in those moments, you're thinking, well, mom and dad are going to come home. And... um, that's, that's it for me. <laughs> Goodbye, world. I'm, I'm, I'm out of the family. There's going to be consequences for this. Not only is there a giant burn mark in our yard, I burnt down probably my dad's favorite tree. I don't know. And, uh, and, and, and this is the end of it all. Well, eventually, I figure out that you can smother it. I get a towel, and I beat it until the fire is out. Mom and dad get home, and the rest is history. There was a giant burn mark in our yard, but the tree stood up and the house stood up as well. See, we've all have stories like that where we've tried to undo something that we've messed up. And I think if we're honest, 
There are times when we feel like we've done that in our lives, not just on a yard, where we've set our lives on fire with decisions that we've made. Where maybe we look at the world and we think the the world is on fire and everything is going wrong. And because everything is, is going wrong, we're looking for ways to fix it. We're looking for ways to put the, the fire out, aren't we? Really, since the, the beginning of humanity, we have been trying to fix what's wrong. In a sense, every belief system, every worldview, every religion, every political ideology is aimed at trying to fix what has gone wrong in us and around us and in the world. Because sin has set everything on fire. Nothing is as it should be because of sin. Sin has broken everything. War, division, crime, racism, poverty, and death, all as a result of sin. And as we've been learning this year at 12 Stone, as we've been teaching through the Bible all the way back to January when we started in Genesis up to this moment, we've seen that the refrain of of kind of human history is something like this. God is good, people sin, things aren't as they should be, and we need a solution. That's kind of the refrain of the story of God through scripture. God's good, we sin, things are messed up, we need a solution. And in the Old Testament, the followers of God kind of strike a deal with God of this cycle of devotion and sacrifice and obedience. But as we've learned this year, that is just not enough. Dealing with the wrong that way is like trying to put sin out with the hose. It just spreads. It just gets worse. And so we're met with this this moment today. Almost the climax of the story of Scripture to this point. where We're going to see the last 24 hours of Jesus' life up to his death on the cross in Matthew 26 and 22. And here's the the big thought. We need a solution that puts the fire out and deals with the problem of sin. And mankind needs a savior. And Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross to be that savior. But we got to go deeper into that truth. So we're going to ask a really important question today. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die to deal with the problem of sin that everything's on fire and we need a savior? But why did Jesus have to die? Now, if you're a Christian, you probably have some answers to that question. Yeah, he died for my sin, and that would be right. But we want to dig a little bit deeper than that today. Or maybe you're struggling with faith, or you know somebody who's struggling with faith, and they struggle with this exact thought. People thinking, hey, why did, why did Jesus have to die to save people? And we're going to see the answer to that question as we walk through the last 24 hours of his life in Scripture. But before we do that, I want to give us a bigger kind of theological answer that I think will help us better begin this journey of understanding why Jesus had to die. So let's talk about the character of God. What is true about God? I'm going to pick three characteristics of God that I believe are 100% true of who he is. God is holy, God is just, and God is is love. God is holy, God is just, and God is love. And what happens is sin, putting things on fire, the brokenness in us and around us and in other people, sin seemingly puts these things into tension with one another. 
Because God is holy, which means he's perfect. His standards are supremely excellent. Therefore, anything that breaks his standard is an offense to him. But God is also just, meaning there will be consequences for those sins. And when God deals with those things, he's going to deal with those things consistently. God is consistent in the consequences that sin experiences. But then God is also love. There's nothing you can do. There's no sin in your life. There's no past mistake. There's no current decisions that you're making that can take away the love of God from your life. But we're sinners. So there's this this tension here of how does God demonstrate his love for us without violating his holiness and ignoring his justice? Seems like a little bit of a collision, doesn't it? Let me take it back through middle school Trey and all his fun to help us understand it a little bit better. There are rules. Don't play with gasoline and fire, Trey. And in those rules, there have to be consequences or what's the point of the rule? Don't play with gas and fire or you'll burn yourself, you'll burn our house, and if you do, you'll get in trouble because we don't want that to happen. Do you ever think about it this way? If God is not just, what's the point of his holiness? And, and I want to take a little bit of a pause here. Because sin is exactly how I've described it so far. Sin is fire. Where it burns and it damages us and it damages others. It damages all of creation and it breaks the heart of God. If you think God is just kind of arbitrarily in the sky, just saying, I don't like that, so don't do that. Here's a rule. Don't do that. Then you misunderstand the heart of God. Everything that's tied to the holiness of God and why there's ever a standard for what we should or should not do in relation to who he is, all of that is tied to his heart for you. Because when we step out of what God has said is sin and not sin, we burn ourselves, we burn others, and we burn creation. Do you understand? So we move through, we see the holiness of God, the holiness, don't, don't play with gas and fire. If you do, there are consequences. And I'm over here asking the question, am I still in the family? As my, my parents, good, good run, Trey, yeah, 12 years as a Hildebrandt, the rest is up to you. No, I came back and I faced consequences but the love of my parents never drifted. See, you may be thinking, easy, just forgive, right? Just forgive. That's how we should deal with our sin. That's how parents should deal with us, right? Easy, just forgive. But I promise you, you do not want a God who is not holy, just, and loving. Because if we try to lower any bit of the characteristics of God, what happens is he ceases to be God altogether. If we were to lower the holiness of God, what happens is we don't know any standard for anything and the world becomes very confusing. God is our holy standard. If we lower the justice of God, then there's confusion on the consequences. There's inconsistency on how God deals with sin. We don't want to follow a God who's inconsistent on how he deals with us. And then, of course, we don't want to lower the love of God because nobody wants to wonder how does God feel about them. So if God is holy, just, and loving, 
to answer the question, why did Jesus have to die, is we needed a plan, we, broken sinners, that satisfied God's holiness, God's justice, and God's love at one time. Watch this. Because God is holy, and because God is just, and because God is love, the cross beautifully and perfectly satisfies all three things of God's characteristics. And only the cross does this. I I was preparing for the teaching, and I had a moment, and this is going to sound a little bit trite, and I don't want it to, but I had a moment where I just was thinking about God, and I'm like, God is brilliant. And some of you are thinking, well, of course, he's God. He created everything. But I don't know if we ever attribute, we don't talk about that enough. Like, God is brilliant to create a way where his holiness, his justice, and his love are satisfied in our place by someone other than ourselves. It's beautiful, and it's powerful, and we're going to see how Jesus Christ is the perfect substitute, and how Jesus in our place satisfies the holiness of God, the justice of God, and the love of God. And as we do that, we're going to walk through three scenes, kind of three moments in the life of Jesus up to the cross. And as we look at Matthew 26 and 27, here's my encouragement to you. Picture yourself in this. Perhaps the most, we're about to begin a journey from this moment to Jesus' resurrection. There has not been a more powerful 96 hours in the history of mankind. And we're going to look today at the last 24 hours of his life. So picture yourself and get into this to see the power of Jesus and how Jesus is our perfect substitute and why Jesus had to die. So we're going to jump into Matthew 26. This is a dark night. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Matthew 26 picks up the story in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he had to sit with them, sit here a while as I go over there and pray. The Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus and his disciples are in an olive garden together, and Jesus is going to pray. Verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Pay attention to how Jesus is is responding and what's true of Jesus in this moment. He's sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further into the garden, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, he continues this time of prayer. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You can see the drama here. You can hear the angst and the anguish and even the dread in Jesus as he knows what's coming the next day. See, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. So there is distress in his heart as he knows what's coming next. And and it's important, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a moment. But Jesus' distress was more than just his fear of physical pain. Don't read this and think, oh, Jesus is really scared of physical pain. What Jesus was dreading is so much deeper than physical pain. And it's tied a little bit to this thought, because as, as I read this passage, I get a little bit confused. Can we just have an honest moment? 
Do you ever read scripture and just feel kind of like, all right, I, I don't know if God, if that's what you meant to say, God, I'm a little confused by, by that. Well, for me, this is one of those moments where I've had trouble understanding what's happening here while Jesus prays, hey, God, if there's another way beside the cross, could we pick that way? Like, here's where my brain goes. Is Jesus really asking for the cross not to come to pass? Like, Jesus is one with the Father as part of the Trinity. He's fully God, so he's been with God forever past. Therefore, Jesus was in on the plan. Jesus, he, he comes to earth. He lives this life. It wasn't like he got here and started the plan of salvation. And then God was like, like three days before the cross, like, hey, bro, hey, real, real quick. So sorry. It's about to get real messy. No, Jesus was in on this. So he wasn't surprised. So what's happening when he's saying, God, not, not, not my will, but your will be done. Let's unpack it because there's something special happening as Jesus uh, submits and recommits to the will of the Father. Because in the garden, Jesus is yes in our place. Catch this with us. Jesus is in our place. That's how he satisfies the holiness of God, the justice of God, and the love of God. And in the garden, he is yes in our place. Don't miss this. I think Jesus being in a garden is significant. Because what's another garden in Scripture? The Garden of Eden, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, where God created mankind. And it was in the Garden of Eden where mankind first gave God our no. It was in the Garden of Eden where man first sinned. It was in the Garden of Eden when we allowed our will to trump God's will. It was in the Garden of Eden when we first offended the holiness of God. And so what Jesus is doing in a garden here is very intentional. He is reversing and restoring what happened in the first garden. Adam and Eve essentially said, not your will, but our will be done. Jesus, in a different garden, says, not my will, but your will be done. He gives God his yes in a garden as the replacement for our no in a garden. See, I don't think Jesus was ever not going to the cross. But we needed him to intentionally and purposely admit, to the, admit and submit his will to the Father as the reversal of our no. Jesus had to submit to his role as the Messiah and as Savior. And this was the reversal of the time when we said, not your will, but our will be done. And the Apostle Paul, actually, in the book of Romans, compares Jesus to Adam. And he, he shows us what happens in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in the same way death came to all people because all sinned. Paul goes on to say, and through Jesus, if, if death and sin came in through one man, through somebody else, through Jesus, life came in. So with the sin in the first garden, death came in. But with Jesus, yes, in the second garden, life came in. See, Jesus is yes in our place, and he's agreeing and resetting the standard of God's holiness. The Jesus Storybook Bible that we've been using to help us through the story of Scripture this year sets this up beautifully. This is how they capture Jesus in the garden. But there was something else 
Something even more horrible. When people ran away from God, they lost God. It was what happened when they ran away. Not being close to God was like a punishment. Jesus was going to take that punishment. Jesus knew what that meant. He was going to lose his father. Pause. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And that, Jesus knew, would break his heart in two. Violent sobs. Remember, he's sorrowful in the garden. Shook Jesus' whole body. Then Jesus was quiet, like a lamb. I trust you, Papa. He said, whatever you say, I will do. Do you see the contrast? Jesus is yes in our place. We move forward through this dark night, and Jesus is arrested. He's arrested, taken from the garden, and he's essentially put on trial twice. The first trial Jesus is put on is before the Jewish leaders, where he is tried and convicted of blasphemy. They convict Jesus of blasphemy because they understand that he is claiming to not only be the son of God, but claiming to be God himself. So after Jesus is convicted before the Jewish leaders, they want to put Jesus to death. But Jewish leaders had custom where they didn't actually put people to death. So they pawn Jesus off on the Roman government because they want Rome to be the one to put Jesus to death. And so they bring Jesus before another group of people, another trial, where they are going to try Jesus uh, in a way that would allow for Rome to be the ones to execute him. And this blame game begins where people are blaming Jesus for crimes he did not commit. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done this, but have you ever blamed somebody for something you know they didn't do? If you have a little brother or sister, you better raise your hand. You know, I I thought about this fire story of, of setting the yard on fire. I have a little brother. He's only two years younger than me. If I'd played my cards better, I would have been out back when mom and dad got home, my arms crossed. Dad, you see that? You know that other kid that lives here? Totally, that kid did it. Right? We, 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 we blame others when, when it suits us to deflect. But what's happening here in a much more serious way is Jesus is being blamed for crimes that he did not commit. He did nothing wrong. And this is how the trial goes, starting in Matthew 27. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? Pay attention. But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. He's taking the blame to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner named Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of you, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who you call the Messiah? Pause. Let's set up what's happening. Jesus is literally standing on a stage and the crowd is judging him and he's interacting with this man named Pilate, who is the Roman governor of that area of Israel. And the Pilate has the authority to sentence Jesus to death. Pilate doesn't fully understand why they want to sentence Jesus to death, but he doesn't want the crowd to revolt. So he starts to play a little bit of a game. Once a year, Rome would pardon a Jewish prisoner and give this man back to his people as a sign of good faith. So Pilate has Jesus up here, sinless, perfect, has committed no crime, and he brings up Barabbas. And Barabbas, the Bible said, is a well-known prisoner. This guy's got some stuff. Maybe this actually is your little brother or little sister. Like, he's got some some stuff. Barabbas is a criminal. Most scholars believe that he actually was someone that was kind of like a terrorist. 
So you have Jesus and you have Barabbas standing on trial together. And Pilate asks, hey, crowd, Jewish men and women, who do you want me to pardon? Who do you want to go free? And for us to understand the weight of this story, please hear me on this. I am Barabbas. And you are Barabbas. And we stand with our sin. We stand with our offense to a holy God. And Jesus, perfect and sinless. Listen to what scripture says. Verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which one of, you, which one of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they all shouted all the louder, crucify him. And it's at the trial where Jesus takes the blame in our place. He is accused, treated like a criminal, betrayed, mocked, condemned, lied about, denied, left by his friends. Yet he stands there and he takes it. Why? Because for Barabbas to go free and for you and me to go free, Jesus had to take the blame. Sin has blame. Sin has guilt. And Jesus stands on trial and he takes the blame and the insults that are hurled at him, not because he's guilty, but because he knew he had to stand there and take it so we wouldn't have to. See, God's justice is going to be consistent. There are consequences, blame, and guilt coming because of our sin. But God is providing a way where those things don't come at us anymore. Jesus takes the blame in our place. And then finally, after being convicted, Jesus is sentenced to death. Specifically, death on a Roman cross. The perfect, sinless, loving son of God is betrayed, alone, mocked, accused, convicted, beaten, and sentenced to death. And where Jesus takes our yes, or is our yes in our place, and where Jesus takes the blame in our place here at the cross, Jesus dies in our place. And Jesus, the perfect, sinless, holy one, After 24 hours of torture and agony, agony, he is literally put on wooden beams and he is nailed to a cross for you and for me. And Jesus dies in our place. Matthew 27 records some of the moments of his death, starting in verse 23. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. They're mocking him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And he died. And there's so much to learn here, but let's start by just talking about the cross itself. There's history for us. 
to understand about the reality of the cross. And I know for some people, before we can answer the question of why did Jesus have to die, maybe we should answer the question, did Jesus actually die? Is this a real moment? Is this historical? Is this accurate? So let's unpack that for a moment. First, people did not survive death on a Roman cross. This is what Rome was notorious for, executing people on a cross. Like, what a bad reputation. The word crucifixion is the origin word for the word excruciating. The word excruciating literally means from the cross. One author and scholar, an actually former Muslim, who studied the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus and was compelled by the evidence and by the love of Christians in his life to convert to Christianity, beautiful story, his name is Nabil Qureshi. He wrote a book on some of the reliability of the history of the cross, and this is what Nabil says. He says, it, the cross, was an execution reserved by Rome when they wanted to make a statement. This is what Roman government was best at. They wanted to execute somebody. They didn't fail. There's actually no evidence that anyone ever survived crucifixion on a Roman cross. Even atheistic scholars that don't believe that Jesus was the son of God, but they don't argue that Jesus lived, they also don't argue that Jesus actually died on a cross. One famous critic of Christianity, his name is John Crossan, said this, there is not the slightest doubt about the fact of Jesus' crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Isn't that cool? This guy doesn't even believe that Jesus was the son of God, but here's what he's not denying. Jesus died on a cross. So if Jesus actually died on the cross, we're left to answer this question of why. And it's love. It's love. Despite our sin, despite our offending the holiness of God, despite our worst moments when we set things on fire, our heavenly father still wants us and he still loves us. Dad says you can still be in the family even when you've sinned. And so this plan comes to fruition where the love of God is going to make a way for people to be saved, forgiven of their sin, and brought back into relationship with God the Father. And this is where something so profound happens in the story of Jesus on the cross. Remember when I said a moment ago that what Jesus was fearing in the garden was not just the physical pain, it was something deeper. Jesus was fearing something that goes far beyond the wounds that he was going to experience on the cross. I mean, think about you as a kid. You know, when you're a kid or you're younger, the worst thing you could experience is physical pain, right? Like I, I, in my lifetime, uh, before I was 18, I had stitches or staples 10 times. Apparently, I was just the worst. Um, but uh, I had, but I, go, I think back on all of those kind of things. I don't remember half of that, but you know what I remember more? And as you get older, this becomes more true. You can deal with physical pain, but what breaks your heart is rejection. What breaks your heart is distance from the ones you love. There's emotional and spiritual pain that just goes deeper than physical pain. And this is what's happening at the cross. Okay, follow this with me. The sin of the world falls on Jesus, and in that moment, something breaks between him and his heavenly father. Jesus exclaims while on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He felt in that moment the perfect communion that the Son had had with the Father and the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity. He felt that perfect communion severed in a moment when the God of the universe, his Father in heaven, chose to look away from him. Because as Jesus was hanging on the cross, the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, literally were on him. And in that specific moment, the father cannot look to sin. And so he looks away from the son. What Jesus was fearing in the garden was not being nailed to the cross. It was distance from his heavenly father. And as the father looks away from the son, please hear the heart of this. Because in Jesus experiencing the Father looking away from him, there is now the potential reality where God the Father doesn't have to look away from you. Do you get it? There had to be a moment when God looked away from his son in order for him to be able to look towards you. And now... We have an invitation when we stand before God in eternity where he will not have to look away from us, but he will lock eyes with us and say, come on into my presence for eternity because I looked away from my son, so I wouldn't have to look away from you. Jesus dies in our place, but let me take that thought just a little bit deeper. Why die on a cross? Remember, our sin owes a penalty. We cannot even begin to grasp the cosmic offense that our sin really is. And again, because God is perfect in justice, consequences of sin must be dealt out. So follow me here. Sin literally brought death into creation. Before sin, there was no death. So think about how grievous this is to the heart of God. God creates People And then sin comes in and now his creation has to experience death. This is why scripture says in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is also why for generations, followers of God would sacrifice lambs and other animals in temples because that small death would be a substitute payment for the debt of sin. Death, sin brought death for death. Death for death. However, this Old Testament system of sacrifice and devotion was not enough. Mankind is left with this issue. Sin is paid for by the sinner or a substitute. Your sin, my sin, is paid for by me, the sinner, by you, the sinner, or it's paid for by a substitute. There's no option C. So we needed a better way to have our sin paid for. A way that covers us once and for all. A way that demonstrates the love of God. A way that not only pays the penalty of the sin, but changes the heart of the sinner. That's what we needed. So Jesus, who lives perfectly, is yes in our place. Jesus, who stands on trial, takes our blame in our place. And Jesus, who never sinned, therefore would not have died And did not deserve death. You ever thought of that? Jesus was perfect. Sin is what causes death. So because Jesus never sinned. He would not have died. And he did not deserve death. But that Jesus. 
chooses to die on the cross in our place so that as his blood is shed for sins that weren't his, we could be counted as forgiven. The cross is the only place where holiness and justice and love could meet. The sinless one pays the sinner's price. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter two, yes. The sinless one pay, chooses, and don't miss the word chooses, to pay the sinner's price. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus in your place. And again, I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible captures this moment of Jesus on the cross. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he'd called. If you were really the son of God, you could just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed that little girl and he stilled the storm and he fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. And Jesus chooses because of love to die in our place. And all of this is offered to you and to me and to anyone who would say yes as a gift. You can't earn this. You can't win this. It is given to you. Jesus in your place is accounted for you by faith. What I'm telling you is that you can be forever forgiven and made right with God again if you believe and trust that Jesus Christ died in your place. That's what faith is. And you're presented with an opportunity today to decide what will you do with the reality of why Jesus had to die. There's one more moment on Jesus' final day that I want us to see. I've mentioned that Rome, through the urging of Jewish leaders, were the ones that actually carried out Jesus' execution, which means that there were Roman soldiers, Roman centurions that would have physically been the ones to whip Jesus. They gambled with his clothes. They mocked him. They would have physically been the ones to hold the perfect son of God to a cross there was literally a soldier that took nails and drove them through Jesus' hands and feet. Have you ever thought about that? That there was a person who unknowingly, they didn't know who Jesus was, who unknowingly nailed their God to a cross. Well, something clearly started happening that day because scripture shares a moment with us with one of the centurions. It was probably a mixture of things. It was probably seeing Jesus love others all the way to the cross. 
It was probably Jesus' humility when he stood and he took the blame. It may have been the fact that the sky darkened and the earth shook, but listen to Matthew 27, verse, verse 54. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. One of the soldiers responsible for literally putting him there has an, a moment where he goes, oh, what have I done? This guy really is who he said he was. And what we need today, what you need today is a moment just like the centurion. If you're already a follower of Jesus, it's my hope today that your faith is strengthened and that you are in awe again of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Why did Jesus have to die? Because he had to be our yes. He had to take the blame. He had to pay for our sin and he did it because he loves you. And today, if you're already a follower of Jesus, remember that much of the Christian life is just looking to the cross again. You feel like a failure? Look to the cross. You feel like a screw up? Look to the cross. You feel like you've missed the will of God? Look to the cross. You've broken relationships in your family? Look to the cross. And have your faith restored in Jesus. Get back to this place of awe. Isn't that what we need a little bit of? Where we think about Jesus and it should knock us off our feet. This is what he's done for me. He carried the whole deal of holiness and justice and love. This is what he's done. So Christians, look back to the cross. We're going to have a moment to respond. But there's another group. You're listening today and you're at 12 Stone Home or online or you're here at a campus. And you're like the centurion. And until this moment, the gospel has never made sense to you. And until this moment, you've never said yes to the offer of Jesus Christ in your place. And you're like the centurion and you're sitting back in your seat wherever you are and you're going, this might be real. What that guy is talking about and how the scriptures talk about Jesus, this is your oh my gosh moment. Surely he is the son of God. Every one of us is going to stand before God in eternity one day, and you're going to have two options. Either you stand in eternity and you look at God the Father, and you're still carrying your no, you're still carrying the blame, and you still have your debt to pay. If you still have your debt to pay when you stand before God the Father, he will look away from you for eternity. But the offer of Jesus is that you stand before God and because of what he's done for you, you stand there with a yes that's not yours 
You stand there with blame taken away from you as a gift, and you stand before him empty-handed with no debt to pay because Jesus paid it in your place. If that's you, when you stand before God, he's gonna lock eyes with you and say, come on in for eternity. In a moment of faith, whether you're watching online or you're at 12 Stone Home or you're at a campus right now, in a moment of faith, you can switch from one place before God to another. What will you do with the offer of Jesus in your place? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.